Take your Bible and open it to John 17 this morning. We're going to look at verses 13 to 23. <clears throat> and i got to get a Cheerio out of my throat. John chapter 17, verses 20, 13 to 23. Good morning. It's good to be back. Um, if you're a guest... I'm not, the, I'm not the pastor here. Uh, I know a lot of guys that want to. But let me tell you something. This is a, if you're a guest, this is a good church. You need to come here. They're all messed up. <laughs> and you are too. And I'm the worst out of all of them. They just invite me. I don't know why they invite me back to do this. But this is a good church and we meet here to meet with Jesus because we're messed up. Amen? Y'all don't sound too very... In- I know you're shy. John chapter 17, verses 13 to 23. I, I was driving here thinking this morning, my role is um, to take your heart wherever it is and... Get your mind off of if there's pain, if there's sorrow, if there's joy, if there's anticipation about a new pastor coming, if there's you left the you left the skillet on at home and you don't you, you think you might have to take all that and just set it aside for just a few minutes, and I want you to think about Jesus Christ. Okay, will you do that with me this morning? John chapter 17, verses 13 to 23. But now, Jesus says, I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent Clover ARP Church into the world and all the other believers on the planet. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Let's bow together and pray. Father, for the next few minutes, these are very sacred words for us in that they convey your prayer for us. When you met with your disciples in the upper room, I pray that you would give us grace to to hear Not my words, but your words. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing 
in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I uh, did a little research about you. I grew up in a little town called Heath Springs, and uh, I started looking at why that town was named, and way, way a long time ago, there was a man, there were some springs in town, and some man came into town, and he found them, and they named it Heath Springs. And so I was looking on the internet the other day, and I said, I wonder how Clover got their name. You know how Clover, you know how you got your name? Uh, folklore has it that uh, according to... Uh, a story, the overflow of water from, a, from the railway's water tank fertilized the patch of clover, and the stop on the train became known as the clover patch. Is that right? Some, somebody's, that's how, and I, did you know your, your slogan is clover? It's the city with love in the middle. C L O V E R? Did you know that? Y'all didn't know that. Y'all, are y'all from clover? I want to talk to you about, I, I, I was thinking, man, Clover, I thought, aren't those people glad that dandelions didn't grow up under that train thing? I mean, how would you like to be from Dandelion, South Carolina? Or, or even worse, kudzu. <laughs> I want to quote something. Jesus is in the uh, upper room with his disciples. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And verses 13 to 18 tell us about how Jesus connects his mission and our mission with fullness of joy. You should have seen those little kids a while ago when they thought they were going to get a donut. That's, that's a child's joy, but there's a joy that, that God promises to us as we get involved in his mission. He wants us to have fullness of joy and to have this deep, lasting joy. Jesus gives us a mission, and I, I want you to know this morning that uh, a, a new pastor coming is not going to be magical. He's not going to make donuts come out of a bag. But I want you to follow him because I think God has a mission. I know he has a mission for you to do. Uh, speaking about small towns, uh, listen to this great theologian that I found, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> he says, well, I was born in a small town and I live in a small town, probably die in a small town. Oh, those small communities. If you want to go ahead and sing it, you can. I, 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 I was rehearsing this last night, and I almost started singing it. Uh, educated in a small town. Caught the fear of Jesus in a small town. I used to daydream in a small town. Another boring romantic, that's me. No, I cannot forget where it is that I come from. I can't forget the people who love me. Yeah, I can be myself here in this small town, and people let me be just what I want to be. Got nothing against a big town. Still hayseed enough to say, look who's in the big town, but my bed is in a small town, and that's good enough for me. Amen? Some of y'all don't like Charlotte. I know you don't. You live here in Clover. Either you got stuck here, or but, but you, we live in small towns. I grew up in a, in a town that only had 1,000 people. Uh, Seymour, Indiana, where John Cougar, Cougar Mellencamp is from, has 17,500 people. Clover has, what, seven, 8,000? If you get out of the city limits, it's probably more. I want you to think about something. There are people in this small town that God wants Clover to reach. Do you hear me? 
There's pe- there are people in this small town that God wants Clover to reach. And I want you to, to think about something this morning. It doesn't matter whether you live in Charlotte or Rock Hill or Clover or Sharon. Or if you say pecan or pecan. God has a mission for us in these small towns. I want to talk about four aspects of the mission this morning that God's, that Jesus has given to us. It's in the text that you have. Uh, first of all, uh, about this mission, number one is that we need a mission. We need a mission. Verses 13 to 18, I won't take time to read through them all again, but verse 18, Jesus says, As you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I want you to think outside of Christianity for a moment. I want you to think about, uh, about how important it is for us to have a mission. Uh, you know what it's like to be engaged with someone uh, more important than yourself, a cause that you need to sacrifice for uh, I think I told you the first time I came that I played high school basketball. And the, the, one of the goals is obviously to get the round ball in the, in, in the, in the hoop. That's, that's one of the goals. Our coach sat us down at the beginning of the year and he said, Guys, I think we have an opportunity with the talent that we have. He said, I think our goal is to be to win the conference championship. By, by the way, we beat y'all. <laughs> He said, our goal is to win the conference championship, and our goal is to win, go to the state championship and win the state championship. He, said, he says, because, young men, I think we can do it, and I'm going to help you do it. And so our goal was to, to, to win the state championship. But it wasn't easy. Every afternoon from evening from 6 to 8.30, we had practice, and uh, we had two games during the week. And on Thanksgiving and Christmas break, when everybody else was sleeping late, we were in the gym running up and down the court, barfing, uh, trying to win the state championship. It, it, it took the team uh, 30 or 40 guys tried out for the team, and the coach had to kind of whittle it down to 12. So he literally he ran us until he, whoever wasn't throwing up at the end. And I know that's not cool church talk. But that's how bad we wanted it. The 12 of us survived and there was a deep joy. In 1980, we were in the Irmo High School dressing room with a state championship trophy. And it was hard work. But I can't tell you the joy that it had from having a goal. We need a goal. In Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus said, look, or the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and the cross wasn't joy, but the joy of carrying out his father's mission to come and to die for him was, for us was. I've, I've, I've had the joy of seeing four children be born. And there's, there's pain, but when there, there's a joy when the, the doctor takes that baby and lays it on the mother's chest. It, 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 just, it just, the pain goes away. And so what I want you to see this morning, number one, is that we need a mission. If you live only for your self-interest, for your personal comfort, for your freedom, it might have a little bit of joy, but you won't know the deep fullness of joy that Christ is talking about. If you're a baby boomer, 
Baby boomers were born. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't embarrass yourself. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, you're called a baby boomer. And the baby boomers had this attitude of, of it's, it's our duty. By golly, this is our country. We're going to stand up for it. It's our duty. And we're going to live that way. We're going to be that way with our family, with our church, because it's our duty. That's what drives us. That's what shapes our hearts. Millennials, people that live in, in this current day and age, the, their thing is to find their dream and to find their passion and to fulfill it. And that's the way that they get joy. And so with both of those, there can be an emptiness about it. There can be an emptiness about it, but, but God has made us to live with a sense of eternal mission. Did you see the story about Steve Jobs, the, the guy that, uh, did he found Apple? Is that right? He founded Apple. Okay, did you see the story about Steve Jobs? Gazillions of, 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 of money, more money than he ever knows what to do with. He said there's still something empty about it. And Jesus knows that about us, and that's why we need to have a, a purpose and a mission to live for that's eternal, and that's what Jesus Christ gives to us. Number two this morning, he tells us in this passage that there's, the, there, there's a purpose, the, the purpose of Christ's mission. Notice what he says in verse 18, that as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into to the world. What are we called to do? What is, our, what is your mission at a church? as a church? What's your goal? It's easy to get lost in the details and, and, and to, 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 miss, to miss what the purpose is. Uh, listen to this story I found out about a bagpiper. This man says, as a bagpiper, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in the Kentucky backcountry. I wasn't familiar with the backwoods. I got lost, and being a typical man, I didn't ask for directions. I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and the crew left, and they were eating lunch. He said, I felt badly, and I apologized to the men for being late, and I went to the side of the grave and looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I just started playing my bagpipe. The workers put down their lunches, and they, be they began to gather around. I played my heart out. I played my soul for this man with no family and friends. I played like I had never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept, and I wept, and we all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and started for my car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. My heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I ain't never seen nothing like that before. I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. We better know where we're going, right? You can tell that at once to the I'll make a copy of it. See, it's on the internet. You can find it. Just bag, just Google bagpipe funeral. Okay. 
I bet you never get that one. <laughs> My point was, we got to know where we're going. We got to know what we're doing. And so uh, the goal is not to see how many people get in this church. That's a, that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to invite people. That's not the goal. There's a lot of churches I know, and you know what they think their goal is? To see how many cotton pick and chili cook-offs they can have. Hope y'all don't have cook-off, chili cook-offs here. But our goal is not to see how many people. Our goal is not feeding the poor. That's a good thing. Jesus says to do it. Our goal is not to care for the sick. That's not the goal. That's good things to do. The get in the community. The goal and the purpose. Look in verse 21. Jesus says that they may all be one just as you, Father, in me, that they may be us, that may they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's why we exist. To see other people come to believe Jesus Christ. All these other things will fall into place. If people come to believe Jesus Christ, and that's only a work that he can do, that's only something that he can do in a person's heart. But folks, this is amazing. He calls us to be involved in it. About 11 o'clock last night, we laid down to go to sleep. My wife said, I don't feel good. I said, what's wrong? She said, my stomach, my stomach just feels funny. I thought, she's over here. I rolled over and I said, don't breathe on me because I really want to go do this tomorrow. I love doing this. I love talking to people about, about spiritual things. I hope that you do. That's our mission to, to see people come and, and, to, and to know Christ. I gotta, you know I'm looking for a, a church or it's getting pretty tight. If I don't find a job, we're going to have to move in with one of y'all. But I got. A, I was sending out resumes, and this, this, this. I thought he was still a kid. His name's William Johnson. He emailed me several weeks ago. He said, "Hey, my dad told me that you were looking for a for a church to pastor." He said, "I just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. I married a girl. She's uh, her dad is the RUF International uh, leader at Clemson." And he started telling me all this stuff about himself. He said, "By the way, I'm following Christ. I'm married." He said, I'm the family worship pastor at a church in, uh, in, uh, in Greenwood, South Carolina. He, we exchanged some emails. And he said, he mentioned some mission internships that he'd done. He said, I've gone to Boston and learned, learning about church planting. I said, where, where did you learn all this stuff from? He said, you You can't buy this kind of joy with money. You, you can't buy it, folks. And I wish I could go on and tell you all kinds of other things, but engaging people with who Jesus is, there is so much joy in that. I wouldn't trade what I... You know what my fear is? I'm going to have to get a job and not get to do this anymore. But Jesus shapes our hearts with his mission. I want you to fall so in love with Jesus that people have to just say, he's just full of Jesus. He's just full of it. That shapes our hearts. Thirdly, I'm not going to say that one. That's going to take too long. Lastly, where do we get the power to do this? 
Where do we get the power? No, I'm not. I'm going to back up. We'll be all right. The tension. I know you're not supposed to do that. The tension. There's a, there's a tension. First of all, there's the need for Christ's mission. We, we need a mission. Secondly, there's the purpose of it. What is it? It's to get people to believe on Jesus Christ. Thirdly, there's a tension in Christ's mission. Verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Let me ask you something. Do you want to see the world become a better place? Teenagers are shaking their head. Students are shaking their head. Uh, Grandparents, do you want to see the world become a better place? I do. But how's that going to happen? Everybody wants to see the world become a better place. And we can ask ourselves, why isn't the church more effective? We're, and there's this tension. We're called into the world, but we're not of the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. And so we go off and we either become like the world or we, we withdraw ourselves out of the world. I went, to, I went on a mission trip to Romania about seven years ago. And we, went, we drove up on this high mountain to this really famous cathedral and we went in and we got in the first little place that you go into and we were all going to go into the worship service and I, it's, this, this place was amazing there were nuns walking around uh, and all this stuff there were little th- little graves with incense burning by them and they wouldn't let me in I had shorts on I thought gee my legs aren't that ugly but we went into this we went in this cathedral and it was way up on a hill. And there are all these religious people. And they were doing religious things. And I stood there thinking when I was sitting outside and everybody else was in enjoying the tour, I thought, they're out of the world. Down on the mountain where the the, the factory workers are and where the poor people are and where the struggling people are that need to know about Jesus, that's where they are. These people up on this high holy hill. Will you promise me something? Will you promise me that when this new guy comes you won't turn into this big high holy hill? Jesus calls us to be in the world but not of the world. There's a big difference. And don't think that, that gospel holiness is being this uptight, stuffy mindset. Those are Pharisees. I want you to be so in love with, with Jesus that people smell him when they're around you. There's a tension there. We can't be in the of the world, but we're in the world. It happens so many times. Thirdly, there's the, or fourthly, the power for Christ's mission. Where do we get the strength? I know, I know, I still remember being in high school, the peer pressure, everything that comes, the, the pressure at work that you men face. The stuff at home, uh, you know, whether you work in the, play, in the workplace or not, where do we get the power to do this? Jesus in this passage gives us three sources When you listen to Jesus pray, doesn't he sound confident? I mean, just just stop and think about it for a minute. The God of the universe got down on his knees 
And he prayed for you in this prayer. Jesus is confident. Stop and let it sink in for a minute. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, All authority is given on heaven and earth has been given to me, and so I send you. We, we shouldn't lack any confidence. Let me tell you what I did the other day. I've been applying for a lot of jobs. I've been laying in the bed, waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, wondering what in the world can I do to get a job? What can I do to get a church just to be interested in me? And I thought, wait, my, a friend of mine knows the president of a company in Rock Hill. So I'll call my friend and I'll tell him, hey, I sent an application in at this place. Can you tell your friend that my, to get my resume on the top of the stack? Well, about a week ago, I got a phone call. Bing, bing. Mr. Stover said, yes. This is so-and-so company, and we have your resume. We'd like to interview you. I said, it worked. And this is what I found out. If you want a job, don't mess around. Go find the president. He's got, he's, he's got the stuff. But listen to me. When you pray, th- this is what I want you to hear. When you pray, you go straight to the top. You go straight to the person who's not just a president. He's the king of the whole entire universe. Go to him. The first one is the source that we have for power is that we go to the authority. The second one is that we, go, we have God's reality. The New Testament makes a difference between believing in God and experiencing God. James 2.19 says, You believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There's a difference in believing and believing. Moses believed in God, but when he met the reality of who God is, you know what God sent him to do? He said, now that you know who I am, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him to let my people go. And folks, that's the pattern over and over and over and over. And this is it. When God calls you, he brings you to himself And then he says, now you go to some people just like you. And that's the pattern. I don't know hardly any of you. But this is what I want you to ask yourself. If you don't go to other people, why don't you go to other people? And if you don't go to other people... Could one of the reasons be that you have never met the reality of who Jesus is? I know you come to church. I know you look nice. But there's a difference in being religious and knowing the real thing. Abraham, he believed God and he said, God said, now you will go and be a blessing. That's the pattern all throughout the Bible. All the disciples came to Jesus They came to Jesus, he changed their lives, and he sent them back out into the world. That's what what he wants us to do. Thirdly, we, we, we know the reality of who Jesus is. Lastly, verse 19, there's this very small phrase. Jesus says, For their sake I consecrate myself 
that they also may be sanctified in truth. That's a little phrase, but let me tell you what it means. For their sake, the only way that you will ever get out and do the mission that God has called you to do is that if you understand that he went through all that suffering and all that stuff for you. He really got it. He really was punished. He got out of heaven for your sake. He gave up everything for your sake. And when you see what he did for you, he went to that extreme, it calls us to get out and to be involved in his mission. That's what makes us willing to go. Let me wrap it up with this. Uh, we love to go to Charleston. We have uh, good friends that live in Charleston. And what I wanted you to see this morning is that our hearts are shaped by Christ's mission. One of the most deadliest things that you can do is to keep coming to a church, thinking you're doing good, punching your time clock, doing good things, and never go and tell anybody else about your faith. By the way, if you're here and you're hurting this morning, or you're here and you blew it, oh, oh, you blew it through the week, that's your greatest strength. Because there's people out there, they need to know that they're messed up too, and they need to know your pain, and that might be the thing that God uses to open their eyes to see Jesus Christ. Well, we like to go to Charleston. My son and I, who's with me this morning, we love to go fishing. We went down and we bought about two dozen live shrimp. Had one of those nice little plastic bait buckets that you put them in, and we finished. We caught up, I don't know, about seven or eight or 12. Uh, his was this big, mine were this big. We caught some fish, and we, we didn't use all the shrimp. He said, hey, what should I do with these shrimp? I said, well, just go across the street and, uh, in the woods and just dump them out. So he did. Put all our stuff back in the van, went to sleep, and we're going to get up the next uh, morning and come home. And I went out to the van. I opened the car door, and the most awful fish, dead fish smell I've ever smelled in my life hit me in my face. I went to the back, opened up the back of the van, looked in the little bait bucket, and one of the shrimp had stuck to the side of the bait bucket. And so I thought, okay, well, I think I can fix this. I rolled all the windows down. I went back inside, and I went into our friends, and I looked all over their house for just a simple can of Febreze. And they had, like, Clorox and bleach and all this stuff. They, had not, they didn't even have a can of deodorizer. I don't know what they do. But they, uh, I went in, uh, I went back outside and I thought, my wife is, she's going to murder me and Jacob. She's going to make us ride on top of the van, on top of the luggage holder, because this van smells so bad, it smells like dead fish. And so I went back in our bedroom and I started looking through anything I could find. And uh, I think she bought me a, a little bottle of men's cologne. Now, I don't know if I pronounce it right, but it's called Dracar Noir. And I, if I put too much on, she lets me know. She's got a very sensitive nose, and she, I, I go to her. She says, you got too much of that stuff on. She said, you just need to spray it and walk through it. And so I thought, I, 
this, I can use this to fix the dead fish smell in the van. So I went in, went back out in the van. I sprayed it in the van, you know, like six or seven shots and went in for uh, breakfast. And we came back out and said our goodbyes. We got back in the van. I thought, good so far. And she said, what's that smell? And I said, uh, what smell? She said, it smells like a fish wearing Dracar Noir. <laughs> now, I was going to use that illustration to tell you this. You can't cover over your sin. It stinks to God. Worse than a fish. And you can't spray enough stuff on it, so you need to let him fix it. The second thing that you need to know is this. You hang around Jesus so much that you'll start to smell like him. And the fragrance of Jesus in the world is what people really need. The fragrance of Jesus is what they need and it's what we have. Will you live out the mission of Jesus Christ? Let's bow together and pray. Father, would you take us and hold us close to you? If we need comfort, would you give us comfort? But would would you send us out to comfort other people? If we are alone, would you bring us into relationships where we can know other people and then would you send us out so that we can help those around us who are lonely? Would you help us that we're met? I don't, I don't joke about this when I say that we're messed up. If we only knew our own hearts. But would you show us the gospel that Jesus Christ died and suffered and forgave us of all of our sin, our shame, our guilt. And he brings us to himself. And he sends us back out to love other people that are messed up. Would you do that for us? Help us to be the fragrance of Jesus Christ in this small town. In your name we pray. Amen.